0: this is john stepling this is aesthetic resistance podcast number 86 Uh, i believe (laughs) i just said that yeah 86 uh with me in uh sweden johan edibo hi johan good evening uh hiroyuki hamada in new york long island hi hiroyuki hi john Corey Morningstar, uh, somewhere near Toronto. Hi, Corey.
1: Hey, good afternoon, everyone.
0: And somewhere on the Indian subcontinent, Varun <clears throat> Mathur. Hi, Varun. Hello. <laughs> it's midnight. It's midnight where Varun is. No. Uh, so it, it's been a couple of weeks uh, since the last podcast. And <clears throat> it it seems as though... A number of things are going on simultaneously that warrant discussion, and this kind of interests me. This idea of um, the, the factionalism, the ruling class factionalism, if that's how we want to put it, uh, the the, the Ukraine Russia NATO proxy war continues. Ukraine. In spite of everything you read in the Western press is clearly lost and the US is admitting this, everybody's admitting this. I'm waiting for Zelensky to get thrown under the bus and the US will declare victory and move on to Taiwan. Uh, and, but, but there seems to be a new wave of climate uh, hysteria or propaganda or, or uh, marketing. I saw John Kerry gave a speech and it seems right now to focus on dis, what, the destruction of farming. Uh, Kerry said, we can't, we can't continue to warm the planet. It's really weird how he put it. We can't continue to warm the planet and, and, uh, and, and, and also feed everybody in the same way. Something to that. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so though that's a topic that is worth discussing because, because it's so irrational. You can't destroy farming. Everybody will die. This is crazy. So, and you're doing it in the name of what? Uh, uh, these mythical carbon numbers, percentages, and all the thermometer stats. And it's, um, it's very strange, and it raises for me this question. We were just talking before we started recording uh, the nature of belief today, because I, I don't know what, what, it. When people say, "Yes, I believe that. I believe that that this is a dire emergency," I don't know if, if that, the quality of their belief is the quality of belief that people had a hundred years ago or 400 years ago. Okay, Johan. Oh well,
2: yeah, I used to spin off what you said here. I, I read that Greta Thunberg talks about ending capitalism as the, the ultimate solution to climate change, which is uh, interesting since her, her talking points are so heavily curated. And, and maybe Corey could, could say something about that. There was also a headline today by one of our most prominent climate researchers in Sweden, essentially reading that we've we've lost the climate change battle and that, that we're now utterly fucked. So, so that's an interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> development, I think.
0: Um, yeah. Um. Okay, who? Uh,
1: Corey, do you want to? Um what Johan what are you referring to like where and what lecture or tweet I'm not
2: sure apparently whatever. it was something recent uh, some some tweet or something similar mm-hmm. uh, where where to embody body the last the,
1: okay the yeah. last time I saw that it said it was at a lecture somewhere i think in the uk and then they took it offline for a while and then went back online mm-hmm. But it, I, I'll try to find that while we're talking because it doesn't, she doesn't actually say that. Okay. It's sort of taken out of context by the journalists that reported on it, but you could be speaking to something else.
2: Mm, it's probably the same thing, though. Yeah,
1: and, the, and then the whole agricultural thing that you're speaking to, John, like, I think it's just basically the erasure of subsistence agriculture. And um you know, they want everybody to bring everybody into the debt system, everyone in the Western capitalist system, everyone, um, you know, to be dependent upon the system. And this going towards synthetic food, you know, um, the whole thing, the point about it to me is that they don't focus on the most um, grotesque form of of farming, which is the industrial livestock farms, um, which should be shut down. They're, they're gross in every way. It's horrific for animals, horrific for the environment, for water, for soil, rivers, you name it. It's completely um, <laughs> barbaric. So there's no focus on that instead to focus on the rural farms, which is, you know, just unreal really that this goes um, unmissed. You know, the the, the meat in the grocery store from, you know, these huge and in the fast food chains from these huge places, it doesn't really have any health or nutrition value. So you can't really argue that about about um, that type of food compared to rural farming, which at least I mean, personally, I don't eat meat, but that's, you know, I'm in an area where that's easy for me to do um obviously it depends where you live in the world right and what kind of system you live in um anyway a little bit of rambling but i'm going to try it while you guys no, talk I, yeah go ahead
0: uh, yeah i'm just going to segue to one other thing and then hero you could because and i just want to say this before, before i forget it uh there was a big article in the major norwegian newspaper a couple of days ago about uh the way sweden handled the lockdowns handled the pandemic that, that they did not essentially was focusing on the fact that Sweden didn't shut schools and that Norway did and that Denmark did and that Finland did and that uh, The what they are seeing in quotation marks, they are seeing uh, is this dramatic increase in ADHD in children from the lockdown countries the countries in which schools were shut have a sort of mental health crisis in adolescence and sweden a far far less if any uh increase in 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 these learning problems and behavioral problems what was interesting though and then we can I want to go back to farming what was interesting was that that the article focused on quite rightly you know that schools were shut down and and this deprived children of face-to-face learning and socialization and and play time. but there was no mention about the cl- the climate of fear that that was perpetrated that children were seeing adults in masks the obsessive hand washing the 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 the, the environment of of fear that children were given this message that they they might be contagious other people might be contagious people are unclean they might be unclean everything is very Mm -hmm. dangerous that wasn't touched on at all it's Mm -hmm. as if the people who made these decisions don't want to admit that there was this hysteria going on in these countries Anyway, end of, end of that discussion. Hiroyuki?
3: I, I just wanted to uh, note that the, uh, the fact that the, uh, uh, the stuff about farming is coming from the, uh, the political machine um, probably uh, indicates that the, uh, uh, they want the narrative to be in the, uh, the corporate political framework so that um, the, any relevant conversations are going to be uh, all uh, nullified into this, you know, uh Democrats or Republican or whatever uh, you know they have. So um yeah that that's all.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's a that's a great point. Um yeah, and that was the point Corey made, and it's quite right. Um, I think. That, yeah, uh, I
3: totally, yeah, I totally agree with Corey. I mean, it's 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 obvious that you know it's a centralization and uh, 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 industrial farming is gonna be the one, and um, any sustainable efforts are gonna be um, not emphasized or destroyed. And uh,
0: it right, well, know, it's, it's, to not mention factory farming. In this discussion, is the same as not mentioning um, militarism in the defense budget when discussing pollution and climate change. You know, right? Um, right. And, and and it's. I just noticed another story that broke today in Norway. Was Norway's really militarizing? By the way, uh, the, that Norway has given the okay to. A Norwegian defense contractor to build this new missile detection shield system for the North to prevent surprise attacks by missiles or drones or something. Uh, You know, no, nobody's going to attack Norway. You know, no one's going to attack Russia. Is not going to attack. Uh, and but this is very much like the Swedish defense minister saying there was a threat that Russia would come and occupy southern sweden i mean these things are they're insane they're just insane um johan
2: yeah so there's a story out in swedish media on a an escaped russian whale spy i'm not kidding here so yeah it's a, it's a it's a there's a whale by the name of Valdimir Waldimir <laughs> that's apparently <laughs> been trained militarily they they suspect he's a spy because he's been seen a couple of years back with a with a GoPro camera and and the text Saint Petersburg on himself <laughs> so he's probably been trained by Russia for 8 years they say So yeah I think it's marvelous
0: um it's a little like the the um 9-11 hijackers leaving their their, <laughs> their passports unarmed um at ground zero these very convenient things uh, yeah i i all, the, the other point about the norwegian military this new defense system is is that it costs I, billions of kroner, um, tens of billions of kroner. Uh, or, or maybe hundreds of. I mean, a massive amount of money is going to go into this completely useless um, piece of of hardware uh, that will also pollute as well, uh, and is very ungreen to manufacture. And this never gets. To, I mean, it's all. It's just comically contradictory at this point that 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 the money in in the money spent on defense, the the costs of manufacturing, all of these, you know, global companies from across the world, Brazil, China, Russia, uh, Israel, Argentina, South Africa, all of them have South Korea now, big player in defense. Uh, all of them invest huge amounts of money in these companies. Corporations that produce uh, very ungreen hardware, polluting, and mm. for what exactly? Uh, and yet, all of these nations buy it up because it seems politically attractive for candidates mm. to um, to embrace a war at this point. And and it's a, it's it's I don't know what happened to the anti-war voice, but, but that would segue into a discussion about culture and art too that, that I know we wanted to get to. Johan, you want, I know you wanted to talk about the Rolling Stones.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah, let me talk about the Rolling Stones from one thing to the other. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I saw that there was this uh, special feature on the Rolling Stones on TV today. I think they've had an anniversary last year or something like that. And and the framing was like how brilliant their appropriation of of black American music was, and and how how they really loved the the roots of blues and and Delta blues and all that, and how their success had something to do with well, basically, you know, the public's preference for for blues as this particularly excellent product on, on the the incipient pop music market. They almost put it exactly like that. So So the subtext of, of this little feature that sort of stood out to me was how I mean I, this is not a new idea, but but it was so obvious and clear to me how this channeling and and repackaging of libidinous drives and and suppressed sexual energy wasn't was the thing, really. So how the entire revolutionary character of of rock music as a product in a sense can be said to reduce to this, this niche role it has to call forth and, and siphon off all of this, uh, this stale sex, as Orwell puts it in 84, and how this is then instead directed towards well, lucrative and, and spectacular ends rather than actual political resistance to the dominant forms of oppression. And, and I, I remember from high school, I, I went to this, the, I had a music education. And I, I even then, I felt there was this huge disconnect between these <laughs> middle-aged castrati uh, that were my teachers, and the literal meaning of the music they they ostensibly worshipped. You know how how they, how they tried to distill the spirit of, of rock and roll into their curating of every single disharmonious fraction of the Stones' discography, and 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 the Beatles, and and Pink Floyd, and all of that. How all of them sort of participated in, in this this reshaping and, and reproduction of this phenomenon into this bourgeois institution. So very, very far from whatever punk rock was supposed to be. So, so that's my, that was my starting point for today.
0: Well, um, interestingly, coincidentally, perhaps, uh, I did an interview the other day hmm. with this very nice guy who... Um, Michael Grodner, I think his name is, uh, who was making a documentary about ORC records and CBGBs, the punk rock scene, the band, television, but also the Ramones and Talking Heads, the whole scene. And Terry ORC was the empresario for ORC records. Uh, He was also a very good friend of mine. His real name was William Terry, but he had many aliases, Bill Terry, Terry Collins, Noah Ford, and Terry Ork. What's interesting is Terry was a deeply flawed man, um, and probably the most brilliant person I've ever met uh, for all of his flaws, and there were many. And I've written about him a couple of times. My current blog post mentions this. He was a strange, he came out of San Diego. He migrated with a lot of people to the off off Broadway scene that were involved in theater. He had run a little bookstore in San Diego. He was a short, pigeon toed, um, he had a very bad stutter. So he began as a poet, but he would never read his poetry because he stuttered Mm -hmm. so much. He was friends with Robert Bly, and I remember talking to Bly one of the times I met him and he perked up when I mentioned Bill Terry. Mm. He knew James Wright, he later had a relationship with the filmmaker Nick Ray, with Bert he was encyclopedic on film, he educated everybody that was around him, certainly educated me, I was in my early 20s, but What he will be remembered for, I'm seeing, is this stupid biker bar that he turned into a kind of punk rock mecca and Mm -hmm. this idiotic band television, (laughs) you know, and this was Tom Verlaine, AKA Tom Miller and Richard Hell. They all, these white suburban kids all came up with these names whose real name is Richard Myers. Patty Smith was around. She was Tom Miller's girlfriend, Tom Berlaine's girlfriend. Tom Berlaine just died actually recently. Um, and I remember disliking all of them. And that was about the time I returned to California, in fact. But I found it all very irritating and and as I say, kind of white suburban posing and whatnot. But but this is what the documentary is on. None of other, none of the other stuff that or achieved. Of course he eventually went to federal prison for a couple of years for fraud and embezzlement. It was a tragic story and he died uh, I think around 2010. Uh, he was also connected to Warhol. He was one of the guys with Gerard Malanga that started Interview Magazine for Warhol. Uh, it, it's a long complex history the the point being that the history will be written such that this kind of flawed genius will be remembered for his least interesting mm. contribution to culture. The thing that he found least interesting as well. Uh, mm. and, and it it saddens me in some kind of way. Uh, anyway, Hiroyuki. I, um,
3: yeah, I mean, uh, I think, um, you know, music, uh, art, um, those uh, major institutions of um, uh, the, the Western culture. You know, it, the, the whole thing is part of the uh, uh, cultural imperialism. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the, the fact yeah, that yeah. the uh, uh, those institutions are embracing the embracing those uh, uh, imperial slogans. Um, um, Whatever that is, uh, whatever uh, you know, whether it's about uh, uh, virus or uh, Ukraine or um, climate or anything, um, as long as uh, they are, you know, the musicians are singing in a venue uh, or events, uh, uh, whatever you know, if, if they are included in this framework. Um, the uh, any of the activities would ultimately uh contribute to the uh, uh you know, advancement of the uh imperial um, uh, domination basically, and uh, it spreads uh across the globe uh, in the name of um, uh, music, art. Um, well, and this yeah. is, I mean, and I, I'm really you know, I yeah, you know, I I'm, I'm an artist too. So this is this is really really uh, um you know, I I don't like saying this and I I, I do know that <laughs> there there are so many good artists today. So there many good musicians as well. Yep. But the fact is um the the social institutions of art uh, you know, they don't seem to function. You know, it's all based on facts. So they 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 tend to um, uh, work for the uh, um, capitalist framework.
0: This is really, you know, yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. I I just want to tell you a very quick story, and then, Johan, um, a number of years ago, probably now maybe 15 to 20 years ago, there was a conference in Los Angeles, a theater conference, uh, put together by this arts organization, Screwball Kennis, uh, We used to call them Screwball Penis, but never mind. And they had a lot of money and they invited all the institutional theaters, heads of those theaters, the big bureaucrats to this conference. And it pissed me off. So I got together with a couple of people, Guy Zimmerman and different people that had worked in in equity waiver and alternative theater in LA. I said, let's have a counter conference, right? And, And we'll hold it on the same day and somebody will come and cover it from the press and we'll do like our own alternative theater conference. And we did, except I was the only person literally that stood up and said, these institutional theaters are killing art, they're killing theater. They're bad for everything. And everyone said, oh, I don't know, the taper's kind of nice. They've been really <laughs> good to me. And I just, yeah. it was the, it was like the end of the absolute final end of my innocence, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, because I realized, you know, amazing. Yeah, like in, like Norway uh, or somewhere, you know, yeah, well what you Like, like,
3: like, like um, <laughs> no, you okay, know, your local, you know, art institutions are like uh, having shows uh, promoting Ukraine, you know, I mean, it's exactly, but war. exactly,
0: you know, exactly.
3: It's, it's, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, you know, which you're opposing the imperial war, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense.
4: No, you know, Smith is a, and you can't even concert. say
3: anything about it. If you say it, you you you're gonna be, you know, excluded from.
0: Absolutely. You know. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, Johan.
2: Uh, yeah, just a short comment here. Maybe this is reductive, but I I think there's an argument that at least much of the appeal of of art in our society, in our form of society, in civilization, is is that it approaches. Uh, uh, ostensibly abnormal uh, states of consciousness, liminal states of consciousness, in some sense, and the repackaging and and the commodification of art is a way to neutralize and exploit those uh, appealing altered states of consciousness, speaking broadly, and I, I think this connects in a way very well to. This theme of, of constructing and marketing madness, which you talked about in your last blog post, uh, yeah, which you posted yeah. today, I think, and we we can talk a lot about that, of course, but it's also, I mean, it's important to remember that, that the role of madness always was political from its inception. So, so if, if Foucault ever did anything useful, I think it was basically his, his dissection of, of this fact in, in his uh, right. madness of civilization. <laughs> but but I mean, today, it's not the sequestering of these unclean individuals in, in asylums, and so on, rather than it's the suppression or treatment of, of these politically objectionable thoughts or states of mind that render you a threat, useless, or potentially problematic. The, the pathologizing of the anti-vaxxers, and conspiracists, and so on. So, so right. do you think there's a connection here in, in in relation to how how art is being commodified and recuperated? yeah,
0: yeah, but of course, you know, and mm. and um, uh, I think that there's two things to mention because we were talking about the rolling stones and and that british wave the beatles and stones and everybody uh who were repackaging and diluting american black music right uh which began with elvis presley and i have nothing against elvis particularly but he you know he never paid big arthur big boy crud up for That's All Right Mama, the revenues never went to Crudup who died in poverty. Uh, But all those black musicians uh, from from the, the early 20th century on through the 50, none of them ever were compensated for their work. It was the same with jazz musicians who were persecuted, driven out of the country. Often they flourished in Europe, but American roots music, black music, which is the genius of American culture in the 20th century, Mm. was always appropriated and repackaged uh, as uh, in a palatable white form, in a diluted and palatable white form. That was that was one of the stories. And the other thing is that that, yes, of course, I think, and this is a very complicated and my blog has been about this for a couple of years off and on that, that, that the, the, what is the role of the artist anymore in society? How does society look at the artist? What is the nature of culture? How has it shifted in 40 years? And it becomes a very complicated question, but Corey.
1: Okay. I'm ready to answer Johan's question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So this goes back to Greta's book that came out last year, or whoever the, whoever the hell wrote it. Anyway, um, I ended up looking at this because I noticed um, in November, Richard Wolf shared a tweet. And he, in the tweet, he said that Greta Thunberg, the environmental activist, is not afraid to call out the West Suppressive Capitalist System. And in that tweet, he referenced an article that was published a couple weeks before. Um, written by a conservative journalist, I would say, and the headline of that article was "Greta Thunberg says it's time to overthrow the West's oppressive capitalist system." And then mm-hmm. Wolf tagged Thunberg. Um, Thunberg never retweeted it or liked it. Anyway, the words "the West's oppressive capitalist system" were not the words of Thunberg. Those were the words of the journalist um, who penned the article, shared by Wolf. And then that article is written in response to a speech. Given by Thunberg on October 30th, of last year for the launch of her of her book called The Climate Book, that was released in October. Um, so then she held this event at the London Royal Festival Hall. Um, it was the speech given by her was around 13 minutes and followed by an hour of conservation with um with the with the host for BBC actually and um. It, so during this whole thing, I watched the whole thing, the word capitalist is mentioned once in a question um, by the by the host. And he basically asks her, you say we need to change the whole capitalist system. And I wonder if that isn't the real threat to some of the world leaders and the powerful figures that you meet that they don't like. Um, and then she goes on to say, she answers by saying, yeah, the fact that we constantly every time have this window of opportunity, whether it is or whether it is during the pandemic, um, Every single time we fa- fail And then she goes on. Um, and basically, this is what's really significant is that she says Thunberg, Thunberg says the Western world is in need of a system-wide transformation. She says in the in the speech, earlier this week, the UN, the United Nations Environment Program released emissions gap reports stating that the only that only an urgent system-wide transformation can deliver the enormous emission cuts needed. That's at 21, um, about 21 minutes in. And then she goes on to say, we need a system change and the system right now is not sustainable. Um, And then she goes on again to say in the same one, same lectures, um, structural systemic changes are of course. And then she goes on to talk about that. So the theme is not um, the dismantling of capitalism. The theme is the structural systemic changes, the system change, the great reset, right? The urgent wide right. system wide transformation. And so this is nothing different than what <laughs> we've been seeing for the past, you know, three years. Right. The res- reset. It's just um, made to it's given it this radical spin that's actually not deserved. And then while I was looking for that, I came across just a few days ago. Greta has a tweak. So I looked, I looked there to Johan to see if she's. Hmm. It's see if the account has said anything new about capitalism and she talks about um a, a loss that some committees of the european parliament are now in favor of rejecting this law is very alarming we urge every member of the european parliament save this law so it tells people show your support tell decision makers to restore nature right and the tag line is restore wow. nature and it's about this um they want every, it's like an Avaz petition, right? Go here and, and um, sign this. And then you see who else is sharing that that um, hashtag and you've got corporate leaders group, which is the Prince of Wales and you know, the stupid fucking King. That's his group. That is a co-founder of We Mean Business. You got Birds Life International, which is a partner of World, uh, WWF and World Economic Forum um, behind the commodification of nature campaign. And basically, then you go to the link that she provides to take action, and you read pretty much nothing. And then you sign your name, right? 100,000 have already taken action demanding this. It has almost nothing. And then if you want to read the actual law, you have to dig for it. It took, like even me, it took me about 10 minutes to find it. And you can finally, they don't link to it or anything, you have to find it on your own. And one document is 80 pages and wow. so pe- people look at this literally for 30 seconds and sign it and meanwhile there's you know hours and hours and hours of detail behind this implementation <clears> and <throat> legislation and it's all about natural capital accounting which is the monetization of nature and this is all completely i mean here's redis account promoting it here's corporate yeah. leaders group promoting it Here's, here's WWF promoting it. And people are okay with that, I guess. Yeah, just let's well, sign it better than nothing.
0: <laughs> but I think this is <clears throat> this is a key strategy or tactic uh, from employed by government propaganda, NGO propaganda, corporate propaganda. And you see it with certain influencers as well. I mean, most obvious example is Zizek because this is just a glaring example. Zizek, who is a reactionary racist and and a fraud and for all I know is a a government psyop, but he advertises himself as a Marxist, uh, even a Stalinist sometimes. And so he will begin his spiel whenever he does an interview by saying, well, as a Marxist, <laughs> I believe in free market capitalism. And then it's very important that Wall Street continue to reap huge profits.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's that technique, right? So as a Marxist, and then he will say something pointedly anti-Marxist. Uh, and, and as an environmentalist and a believer in nature, I want you to get behind all these huge NGOs and defense industry contractors who are going to buy up what's left of the world from you. Um, it's that's 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 yeah. I think just a tried and true formula. But
4: yeah, it my God, it, yeah, yeah. The, go ahead,
0: go
3: ahead. Yeah, it validates the uh, the notion that the uh, 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 fascism and uh, communism. Uh, are the same you know right
0: right right right
3: basically right, right?
0: It, yeah. yeah yeah no it's the same Th- this is i think at this point this is my observation this week because it was a it was a very unpleasant toxic uh, couple of weeks on social media and i just i stopped i i have to stop i post my stuff and i stop and i don't talk to anybody um because i think that social media is almost made up entirely of, of, of fake accounts from from government propaganda sites of one from one place or another whatever country whatever i don't think you're i think 90 percent of the time you're not talking to humans anymore it's a strange surreal meta space of unreality and i think people should avoid it at the same time i don't have a replacement for it exactly because You know we're doing this podcast which I suppose technically falls under the uh, umbrella of of social media in some way Uh, I don't know I don't but it's but it it, you it's like trying to read comment threads Uh, I recently read one from Matt Tybee if that's how you pronounce his name Tybee Tybee who at times is a good journalist he's kind of a dunce about a -A 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 lot of things but okay Uh, I kind of like him in spite of myself. And, and, but the comment thread was shocking, you know, I mean, shockingly stupid, just Hmm. all of these people complaining about cultural Marxism, referring to the left, meaning liberals as, you know, uh, Hmm. destroying the world. And it's this world communist plot that we see with the great reset and blah, 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 blah. And where does one, begin, you know, to counter that. How does one begin to counter? I don't know. Corey.
1: Oh, no, sorry.
0: Okay. There you go.
1: Sorry.
0: Okay. No, that's okay. Varun, you're so quiet. Say something.
4: I was just thinking from your last comment about how um, the homogenization project of capitalism under the establishment is often conflated Mm. with with cultural marxism that's often that kind of mistake that occurs that people don't understand that it's actually the industry that's actually homogenizing products which are supposed to be um well which are supposed to have a bed of some sort of philosophy it could be Mm. art or poetry or cinema or anything but it's not the Marxists that are doing that. <laughs> it's, it's actually the, the capitalist industry that's actually homogenizing. But that also ties back into what Johan was mentioning about the Rolling Stones. The first time that I saw a video of them playing live at some venue, all of them were dressed in Adidas jumpsuits.
2: <laughs>
4: so, um, so, And since, like, when I saw that, I was starting to wonder, like, okay, like these guys are here as the role heroes, but they're mm. walking advertisements for right. one of the biggest corporations on the planet. So these kind of, you know, so the this kind of very insidious way that the filters are put into the representation of any given fraternity. Mm. For example, the Rolling Stones. The kind of filter like this. It's a very subtle thing that occurs, which is, yeah. and that's how the recuperation of dissent
1: mm.
4: happens. Mm on a continuum all the time so that you've you've basically given I don't know all these heavy metal bands they got like million dollar contracts and they are playing all over the world but people are dancing around in these mosh pits and so on and so forth but nothing of the social structure ever changes
0: right so you're basically
4: you know like it's just a like a vent yeah
0: no I, and and i see johan i want to go to but i will just comment briefly that the people often accuse or used to when there was a far hard radical left you know the left you guys are such a buzzkill all the time and and it's true in a way if you take bob dylan and i like dylan well enough i actually had a, a a kind of film project with him at one point and I met with him a number of times. And he was kind of okay. He would call me at two in the morning with weird ideas. He's a bit paranoid and strange. But anyway, but he also was doing Victoria's secret commercials. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know you just want to go, Bob, how hard would it be to turn that down? You know? I mean, you're not yeah. you can pay the rent, you know? Um, yeah. How hard would that be? Because I think of artists, people like Jean Genet, um, people that always refused. Oh you
4: know? yeah, yeah. And
0: and and it's not that hard. You can. But Dylan could, doesn't have to do Victoria's Secret commercials. He never had to. Why does he do it? I don't know. Johan? Uh, well, yeah. Can, yeah, can I too. just say one thing oh, really quick?
4: Yeah. Yeah. It was also like, I mean, a few podcasts ago, we were talking about the democratization process. And I think that has a lot to do with this, of what you mentioned, like how, because in the sense like there's this pervasing, pervading philosophy about that the artist has to do art regardless of the politics that might get attached to it on its consumption, right? Like it's, it's like the split screen between the performer and the, and the audience, and then now all the weight becomes is put on the audience rather than the right. performer itself. That's so that yeah.
0: you know what Janet said once in an interview because he was a he was a big supporter of Palestinian rights, and this is back in the 60s. Uh, they said, "But Jean, what happens when uh, if Palestine gets their own country if there's a two-state solution?" And Palestine has their own space. He says, "Then I will move on to defend somebody else's rights." Johan,
2: uh, yeah, it's, it's. I think it's very interesting that you made these remarks, but uh, regarding the well, the construction of, of separate, discrete entities, groups. Uh, I, I just saw. When we talked about Greta Thunberg, that uh, Politico had a couple of articles, headlines with, with her name in it, and they made sure to, to point out that she's a, a generation Z, whatever that means. So, so it's important now apparently to, to solidify these, um, you know, the Strauss whole genera- gener- generational archetypes, that sort of sociology. And, yes, you know, Meyer-Briggs typologies are coming back again in a new form of astrology, I think. And this connects back to the Stones, because that era of rock music sort of catalyzed the teenager as a consumer category and stereotype. And it, it connects with how, how capitalism sorts us into these identities, these consumer groups, generations, what have you. to, to, you know, corral and and hurt us and and exploit us and and propagandize us effectively. And going back to the pathologization of dissent, there we have the the separation of the unclean from, from the normal, both, you know, within the person and also within society as a whole. And and always in the political sphere, this sort of dichotomy between the, the clean and the unclean, or whatever, it reduces to preferences of power. But I I'm thinking maybe there's a maybe one can see the the uh, sort of other side of this coin in the sense that we're also normalizing pathological states in yeah. these identity groups. I mean, one example is What's... the transgender <clears throat> discourse. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
4: No, but I just wanted to add that it's. Not, I don't think it's so much about power than it is about paranoia and keeping control. Because the, the idea here, I think, is more to clean the external and control the external permanently rather than anything else. Because that's, I mean, the sanitization project, whether it's with dissent in the art and culture world or it's in the physical body, And the homogenization project, which is basically like everybody should behave the same so that I have a clear idea about what's going on all the time kind of thing, right? Mm. So Mm. those two combined, that kind of hints at a very serious paranoia about existence, not just about the other, right? Like existence as an idea Mm. is threatening continuously. And so for that reason, war has to be waged on all of existence all the time. To keep it under control which is basically what's happening I think.
0: it's kind of probably both things at once you know in a way too um yeah but yeah. but 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 i i mean i this becomes a really massive conversation but we seemed all of the topics tonight and people's comments Kind of start pointing, or are kind of pointing towards a sense that uh, there is a there is a never mind an economic crisis, and and you know there may or may not be a pollution crisis or or a global warming crisis, but there is a there is a cultural crisis. There there is a a collective mental health crisis of some sort and that's my sense i i i can't escape the this overwhelming uh, Mm. uh, feeling that i get every time i engage with the world these days um, that that behavior has become less and less rational just on a really mundane level. Johan?
2: Yeah, just to, to hook on to that comment, because it's conceivable that, that propaganda and and the, the creation of, of consumer identities down to the most minute detail, in some sense, normalizes pathological states. I think you have an example in relation to the transgender discourse, how the the creation and and framing of what previously was considered abnormal and disruptive states of mind as something normal and desirable and i think this is reflected in this formation of the heavily propagandized individual which is exemplified in many of the people we've encountered in in common boxes just the last couple of weeks this irrational self preoccupied with reproductions of the false consciousness in the marxist sense who is more or less unable to think critically and i also think. We can put it into this category, the the, the polar opposite uh, of the the heavily propagandized individual in in terms of this irrational conspiracist in the negative sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I think, I mean, I've now written two blog posts about this, the one that came out today, a, a sense that if... And, and i was touching on lacan and the idea that the unconscious is structured like a language. language this becomes very obtuse and dense but 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 eric auerbach has some very interesting old essays that nobody reads anymore everybody knows him for his book mimesis but not for these essays but like philologists or or cultural critics like Moretti or Frank Kermode or people like that, this insistence on a narrative that, that people make sense of the world and themselves. And there's been a number of uh, people in psychiatry and psychoanalysis that have said this, that, that we narrate the world, we put it into stories. Walter Benjamin has a famous essay, The Storyteller. And we are living in a society today that can't complete a, they can't complete a sentence uh and and so unconsciously, there is some kind of unconscious uh, starvation narrative starvation occurring that people cannot make sense of their lives. Maybe they haven't been able to for quite a while, but it is reaching a state of of panic almost. The yeah. lockdowns exacerbated it. Yeah. Because it was enforced social distancing masking. You it was the completion of this project of alienation in a sense. And it, yeah. it we're in we're in the in the a, a kind of cultural death throes of that, I think. Okay, Corey and Varun.
1: Um I just wanted to mention to add to what you were saying. There's an article today from medical press. Canadian youth mental health woes, a ticking time bomb. And then within this article, it actually says, um, in 2022, demand for psychological services in Ontario increased by 50% with more than one in two youths living with mental illness. Wow.
0: <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Um, Varun?
4: Yeah, I think, I mean, not just with technology, and um, objects of daily use i think the idea of obsolescence has also manufactured obsolescence has also infiltrated information Mm. and for that reason there is no stable ground for anybody to view the world from anymore and that's why conversations become so floozy right so there is no i mean if there is an erasure of a unified view of existence because information itself has become obsolete in that sense then Mm -hmm. you are only in free-floating anxiety then world will never make sense anymore so you know so it's yeah no
0: i think that's brilliant (laughs) um uh i'm always reminded of a girlfriend i had who said to me she wasn't really my girlfriend but um i was trying to make her my girlfriend and this is a long time ago and and she said oh you don't want me as i I'm like too neurotic which was true and in retrospect I'm grateful she pointed this out but uh, she said you know like I can't even tell when I'm sick I don't even trust myself to know when I'm sick and that always struck me as as uh, a really profound statement of in, of modern the modern psyche in a sense. Yeah. Uh and this goes along with the what belief means anymore. When people say, I believe that, you know, I believe that uh Aries is uh you know, Aries are really friendly people and Geminis are unfriendly. Yeah, I believe that. But you know, do you it's like I said this in the blog post, this kind of clickbait, the clickbait stuff you know, which dead rock and roll guitarist are you? Take this quiz, you know, which, which yeah. kind of Barbie doll are you? Which kind of, and, and people do and go, Oh, wow. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, whoever's died, you know, I'm Jimi Hendrix. Uh, well, do you believe that you, I mean, what does that even mean? You know, they don't know, but it passes the time. And that's the kind of the, this, this suffocating trivialization of life that, that everyone is exposed
2: to all the time. Johan, hey, that's that's really I think these are extremely important observations both of you just made these last couple of minutes. And it it seems like people are less capable of of having profound convictions anchored in in their own being and in their view of reality because they they don't have they don't have the concepts to really establish these sorts of convictions. And and maybe an important aspect of, of of the problem is that that information in a sense becomes obsolete in in the marketplace in, in the postmodern situation where where spectacular discourse is the foundation of, of communication, so to speak. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah no, that's very interesting. It's 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 complicated right this becomes a complicated discussion it's not one that you can simplify because you start talking because I think you're right I think you're absolutely right that that there is an inability to form beliefs of great conviction because because the skills the foundational learning for conviction uh, has eroded. We also are living in this, you know, the truthy world in which evidence, oh, it's all a deep fake. You know, everything's <laughs> a deep yeah. fake now. Um, you're a deep fake, you know? Wait, maybe I'm a deep fake. Right. <laughs> uh, Hiroyuki. That's, that's, it, it, <laughs> it,
3: yeah, it's it's really, uh, um, it's uh, ironic that if you, um, step back a little bit and think about uh, what's going on with technology, Um, like take the internet, there's potentially um, uh, 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 ways to uh, democratize everything, open everything, share everything with everyone, and um, and what happens uh, in reality is Use the technology to control and manipulate and um, divide and uh, you know it's um, it's it's really revealing what um, what the you know what, what we're facing um, as a collective um, you know
0: absolutely and and they'll well I have a number I see hands up Johan and then Varun.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. But, but John, you, you said something about the importance of complicated language or the inadequacy of simple language. And can you perhaps connect this to what Hiroyuki just said about the, the structure of the, the digital media and how it shapes discourse? I thought that well, was I, very I, interesting.
0: Yeah, but see, I think that, I think that, um, I think it was Kierkegaard said, you know, complex questions, difficult questions require sure. difficult answers. Yeah. uh uh but but what hiroyuki just described because the problem is that it, that that there will be a platform or a movement or a person an influencer a politician somebody will say here is this thing and it's all free and it's all democratic and it's not in reality, it's mm. the opposite of that. But but people will go into it and go, ah, so this is what freedom and democracy feels oh. like, huh? It feels just like slavery, isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, that's what that's the problem. It, it, and this is this is a quality. Jonathan Beller is very good on this, I think. Um, this is a quality of of. Like computational capitalism of, of mm. the internet and and the the digital platforms everywhere. Uh, I mean, we see it with like the Elon Musk phenomenon, right? Um, oh, I'm, I'm you know I'm I'm gonna there's gonna be no more censorship, except that's not true. There's all kinds of censorship, <laughs> uh, but but. You know, and this is that famous statement by George Bush's um, spokesperson, whatever his name was, Ron something, said you know, reality is what we make it now. Yeah. And and he was right. Uh, you know, the, this is Obama, you know, the great peace president who started seven wars. Uh, but there are people who will believe that the perception, the image, the, uh, the the marketed product that is Obama, rather than reality. And if you say, "But, but look, there are facts here. There's a historical record that he he has even admitted this and said that." That has people are impervious to that because, again, what is the nature of evidence anymore? So. So the, the question of difficult land, I mean, I think that that this is a Yeah, I mean, an enormously nuanced and complicated topic. Uh, be, because uh, I think that that on my sense now for a while, and I felt this teaching was that complexity uh, demanding work, demanding artwork, demanding texts are viewed with suspicion, it's accusatory. If you present somebody with something difficult, they, it's experienced as accusatory somehow for them. Um, I don't know, Varun?
4: Yeah, I mean, in a sense like the sensibility um, of the individual, if it's hooked onto aspirational culture and neoliberal capitalism, then like Johan was saying before it's spectacular language so the disconnect of the individual with itself is the alienation but then now you have some sort of ghost which is talking to another ghost in this kind of weird com- insane asylum where nothing makes sense right you it's know what, so all- it's
0: in- yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry,
4: go ahead. In the sense, like it's all mediated. And, I mean, it's quite frightening to look at it, how deeply embedded it is, but it is so, is that all the relationships are being managed in that sense by the establishment. Yeah. So yeah. like whether it's like, and I think the beginning, the starting point is hitting the individual with what it lacks and what the establishment can provide it. That's the gap where it rests, I think.
0: Well, that's, you know, oh God, it's so complicated, isn't it? Um, It's like orange juice. People got along for a thousand years not having orange juice for breakfast. and (laughs) And then suddenly marketing took over and people have to have People say, I need my orange juice. I want orange juice for breakfast. Uh, that's a manufactured need, right? I mean yeah, because, there's
2: not even drugs in it.
0: Yeah, I mean like you don't need it. And you you're not even sure you want it. You've been told you want it. And that this is the problem. This is this is like the you know, I said the other day that 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 that, that the propaganda of, of Edward Bernays, you know, that that was 80, 90 years ago seems quaint today Uh, because it's the boy we live in a a, there is this there is this hidden dialectic of Mm. of belief and desire that is that is so technically mediated now as as to be as to make your head spin. Um,
4: Johan. And often conflate, conflated with life itself. So it's like a... Manufactured- yes, no, well, yes, yes, yes,
0: yeah. yes.
4: Sorry, Johan. No, no, what, what is conflated with life itself, you mean? this This mediated presence, this mediated uh. identity, this mediated system, it's often conflated, like industrial society is looked at as mm-hmm. life. It's not. But it's this like is the mental health
0: crisis, right? This is, this is na- natural. This is exactly, like it's. Yeah.
4: It's not manipulated. It's not premeditated. It's this is the natural event. So. Hmm. And this that, is this schizophrenia
0: is, in some kind of way, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is. Yeah. This is. I don't. Am I hearing voices or not? Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. So, um, so what is man. the definition? Yeah. Yeah. But according in in relation to that, what is the definition in in Marx? of false consciousness, isn't that very close to what you're speaking of here?
0: Yeah, of course, of course, it is, sure. I mean, it is that, in a sense. Um, and I would and...
2: frame all of this, yeah, I just I would frame this as a crisis of the worldview, being a theologian and all that. And there was just this, this report coming out that uh, I think half of, of Swedes from almost everybody in in 20 years it's gone down to half who feel that their lives are, are rich and the the proportion of people who consider their lives to be meaningless has quadrupled and in, in like 20 years or something and that's kind of a, a massive uh, and very rapid development towards basically crippling existential anxiety And and this coincides with the period in which propaganda and and marketing and advertising has really intensified something fiercely, which connects us back to to your, your observation, Varun, that somehow this obsolescence of information in this spectacular discourse kind of undermines people's basic anchoring in reality. I think that's really a profound
4: thing. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it's just I mean it's also not it's also replacement right like it's not just that it's it's gone missing that the replacement is what the establishment is going to tell you is truth yeah. that is the real problem right like, so, well, I, so whether it's I, the quantum physicists or the medical doctors that are saying that the, this is the virus that is the injection so on and so forth right the right. The, the relationship between a community with itself does not exist then in that sense, which is what, quite frightening.
0: Yeah, you know, um, this is very interesting because one of one of the problems, it seems to me, that I encounter at least, this is my anecdotal experience. When I talk to people often on the internet in chat rooms or threads or something, Is that uh they may grasp, they know they're being lied to, let's say, about COVID. They understand there was some governmental deception that that you know the World Health Organization was dishonest. They don't know to what degree. These are people who maybe trust, fundamentally trust authority and institutional authority. But they know, they sense there's a fundamental skepticism. They think somebody was lying somewhere in this chain of command. Uh, but they haven't the 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 background, educationally or even practically as organizers or activists of any sort. They they they. They lack all grounding to arrive at conclusions that make any sense whatsoever. And these this is the public that is prey to the tinfoil crazy stuff, that it's a world communist plot, that Klaus Schwab is actually the reincarnation <laughs> of, of Lenin, you know, um, and, 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 and and it's and I think this is what I meant way back when I chose the wrong word and said it's the problem of the democratization of, of 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 the internet. It's 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 just that there is such a proliferation of of bad education, of bad teachers. And we could take this into art. I mean, art is taught so badly today. If I were 16, 17 years old, I would hate art. I would, I would become anything but an artist because of the way it's taught. But, but I guess I'm just saying that it, it's very hard. People lack the instincts, the training, the experience to, to sniff out the fraudulent it doesn't register with them I I so often find myself saying look sit back and think about that for a second okay how likely is it that Russia is going to occupy southern Sweden okay think about it for a second just take a minute uh that's an experience I have a lot and and but but it's the it's it's like the marketplace of opinion now. People shop for their opinions and, and they hold on to them with a great tenacity because there's nothing else, because they have nothing else, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Peru? I,
4: mean, in that, I mean, while you say that it might be a wrong term to use, but the democratization idea, it's also that the mastery of something does not mean as much anymore right like so in the sense that that's the opposite spectrum of it because now there could be 99 people who are saying or speaking or writing about something or representing an idea but that one person who's the master and has the experience and has the knowledge and has the wherewithal to represent that idea properly is lost yeah, in that noise. Do you see what I'm saying? Like
0: yeah, absolutely in the, do. And you know what? It, what occurs to me is that, that this is the problem. If we were <clears throat> in an auditorium having this conversation with 99 people, I could probably get my point across and convince people, yeah, uh, much more easily than I can on the internet.
4: Yeah, right?
0: sure. sure. Because people who actually have experience and carry a certain gravitas and authority and, and you will people will listen to them instinctively. That's all gone on the internet. It's this weird, it's a it's a very insidious uh, but it's also it's, it's also <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. No, but it's also, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. it's
4: also it's also a destruction of like let's say wood carving, right? Like there's no way to have an opinion about that. Either it's good or it's not. So in the sense that whether it's carving marble or making paintings or art or whatever, the point is that those forms have evolved over a few centuries and people who have studied them and have practiced them and are capable of them are not the same as people who are giving it a shot just because it's a trend. So there is a difference in that, I think. So anyway. Yeah, yeah
0: no, but it's, it's yeah, it's, um... This I, it becomes a topic of I mean we we just branch out into yeah into a million things here okay um well uh, we'll sort of inching towards final thoughts from everybody uh, Corey you you went quiet say something
1: <laughs> I'm really burned <laughs> out <laughs> yeah
0: no so am I actually um, but uh, any last thoughts about anything.
1: I would just say there's just so much more, I think, to be talked about, about the mental illness, unhappiness that's, you know, becoming more and more all-consuming, more and more evident throughout society, and I think, yeah, I think this links to to food, right, synthetic processed food, um, you know, our ever-increasing distance from nature, um, you know, ugliness. I I think it's all correlated. It's all connected. And maybe we can talk about that next time. Maybe we can maybe we can talk about, you know, some um, solutions that we can do outside of the system to try to negate some of this stuff and make it better.
0: It's a good idea. I think this is a a towering concern now. uh, Because I talk to teachers and and everyone's experience who is, is in, in schools or universities is that there is a mental health crisis, that, that there's, a, there's a problem, you know, and that there's an increase in uh, self-harm and, and there's an increase in things like ADHD and autism. And, and um, so this is a, yeah, this is a huge topic, I think.
4: Room, Yeah, I can, just, I can just give an example of... Following from what Corey is saying, because in India, in the state that I'm in, uh, in the in the Himalayas, the government has removed quite a lot of the farming subsidy, but they're offering very, very good subsidies for tourism. So what's happening <laughs> is that is that people are dropping their farms, they're leasing them out, and Airbnbs are popping up everywhere. Wow! So this. If this goes on, people are selling off their farming land. So that means, I mean, land that they've had for generations, like multiple generations for 500 years kind of thing. So when you see (sighs) that happening, I'm not kidding. Like I think about 100 Airbnbs have popped up in just the last year. So that means 100 farmers are no longer farming anymore, right? So, th- there are other ways of killing the farming business. It's not just policy in that yeah. sense, like to go against saying that farms are, uh, <laughs> you have to neutralize the carbon footprint of the planet by shutting down small farms is not, that they're using different strategies in different governments in different places. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. very good. And it's, it's so, fucking working. You know, it's very yeah. scary to see.
0: Um, Hiroyuki, last thought?
3: Well I just I just you know, I was just thinking that everything really connects like uh, like Bar- Barun saying was saying about the uh, the uh, death of mastery. and uh, and and that makes sense because, you know, if um, mastery is not backed by uh, money and power, we don't see them, you know? so. Mm you know we can say say the same thing about you know the, all those things know farming art whatever um political thoughts um if it's not backed by the big corporate power your party is not going to be you know so um it's it's all connected in um, this intricate way and um so you know all i see is this um um Capitalist domination
2: you know let me leave you with, with a quote and i would like you to have this uh hiroyuki's image of, image of the the rolling stones and wearing nike clothes or whatever so so uh, the reproduction of labor power requires not only a reproduction of its skills but also at the same time a reproduction of its submission to the rules of the established order That is a reproduction of submission to the ruling ideology for the workers and a reproduction of the ability to manipulate the ruling ideology correctly for the agents of exploitation and repression so that they too will provide for the domination of the ruling class in words. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Louis Althusser uh, Mm -hmm. from uh, ideology and ideological state apparatuses. Lenin and other essays.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, Okay. I, I I think that um, I think that that the topic of mental health is we should we should begin with yeah. next time. I mean, all the way back in, and I can't remember if it was twenty sixteen, twenty nineteen. Something, I Marsha Angel wrote that piece in the New Yorker about the crisis of mental health. You can all look it up. I'll try to link it. It's now a kind of famous essay. I have quoted from it on the blog. Hmm. And it's because the statistics are staggering that she she presents. And so much of my recent reading was returning from Althusser to Russell Jacoby to whoever. Uh, but talking about the shift toward um, uh, neuroscience and, and biology, the idea that you can medicate away symptoms and so forth, uh, it, and, and the numbers of people on uh, psychiatric drugs is just staggering. Right, and just, just almost impossible to believe. So we're looking at a heavily, heavily medicated society at this point, and that's not counting the people that self-medicate with the illegal drugs. All right, Corey,
1: last thought? Yeah, yeah, And so is this like the normalization of misery? I mean, are we just going to normalize misery? You know what I mean? Um, because if we're not going to do anything about these things, right, oh, regulations to protect children who are on social media platforms, blah, 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 the list goes on, you know, we're not prepared or even entertaining the thought that we can live without any of this stuff that's so damaging and well, and hurtful.
0: 20 years ago, I quoted what's his name, Mark Fisher, We talked about the privatization of misery uh, in relation to mental health uh, support and safety net in the UK. this is quite a while back. He, of course, ended up committing suicide. Uh, the, The normalizing of misery, yes, it's also it's also the the propagandizing of misery as happiness i think yeah, yeah. you're not miserable you're happy yeah. you just you just don't know it
3: well commodification where financialization
0: yeah
1: yeah
0: this this is back to this is back to false needs again and, and you know under communism say i want a toothbrush they issued you a toothbrush and under capitalism you go into You know, right aid, and there's four hundred kinds of toothbrushes, except they're all the
1: same.
0: (laughs) That's yeah. Okay, I think I mean this.
4: this Yeah, go ahead. What Corey was saying, this is very interesting because I mean, you could draw draw this back all the way to one of the biggest empires that the world has ever seen, within which Gautam Buddha was born, and from which the philosophy that life is suffering has come mm-hmm. right ashoka's empire was where this idea was born which is a misrepresentation of authentic buddhist philosophy but that has right. taken so deeply that life is suffering right. and they've and it seems like society has followed that as if it's a rule right like right. And, and leave and, out and the so, illusion part and then, yeah
0: like yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah no this is a great topic so this is where we start next time i think sure Um, that's very interesting um so okay thank you all hiroyuki Corey, maroon Johan. this was uh really good i think and thanks to jack Littman, as always uh in los angeles and i'll talk to you guys soon thanks guys
4: thanks so much
0: thank you take care see you